Looking back on what could be the longest COVID hospital stay in Minnesota, for the first time, a family reveals the secretive measures they took that they credit with keeping a husband and father alive. Next. Shannon Fletcher is my guest. Thank you so much, Shannon, for for being on. This is such an important story. I am so glad you took this, Liz. We've reached out to a lot of people, so I appreciate you taking the time to tell the story. No, thank you for for speaking up. This this is incredible. So your dad spent a total of 208 days in the hospital, and you're sharing for the first time what went on really behind the scenes. Um, But take us back. It was your grandfather first, then your father. uh, David Dentz is his name. Uh, They were both hospitalized uh, with COVID. My grandpa got uh, COVID in November of 2021. I think maybe four or five days after he tested positive, he was basically lethargic. My stepmom, Angie, went over there and it was clear we needed to get him to the hospital. And so we called 911 and he was transported to Mercy in Coon Rapids. And then the next day, my dad and my grandma got a call saying that he wasn't going to make it. And, you know, we're all freaking out, of course. They're, we had been asking for ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, several things right off the bat. We were hearing buzz from other people. I ended up going to the hospital. You're telling me he's going to die? I'm going to see him. Something's going to happen. I get to the hospital. They were at first trying to say no one could come in. Um, and I'm like, you just told, you know, us that he's going to die. I need to see him. Uh, they let me in and that image is forever burned in my mind. He, I mean, it looked like he had been left for dead. His CPAP is hanging off his face. Um, there's leaks in it. He had been there for about 24 hours, had not been fed, had not been moved. Um, you know, I'm calling my dad and telling him what's going on. And my dad is contacting the hospital admin at Mercy and saying this is unacceptable. November 18th, my brother was at the hospital at that time. Um, he calls me at 1.30 in the morning because they're pressuring him to put my grandpa on a bed, vent. And so uh, I meet my brother up there at 1.30 in the morning. You know, we're waiting around. Um, they keep saying he's suffering. This would be convenient if we did it right now. We have the time to do it. So we reluctantly agreed, knowing that the chances after they get on a ventilator, uh, you know, their chance of surviving is drastically reduced. But uh, we really felt like we didn't have a choice. Um, We just, I don't know, they, we agreed to put them on the ventilator. And um, they said at that point that we could no longer have anyone there. He's completely incoherent at that point. And I want to say it was like six or seven days later that uh, we got the call that he was having internal bleeding and that we really needed to pull the plug. And Hmm. six family members were allowed in at that time uh, to say their goodbyes. And I'm not kidding. As they unplugged him, uh, they made a comment that he should have been vaxxed. We heard that quite a few times uh, when we were trying to get ivermectin or just anything for him, um, you know, that that statement kept coming up. And when my dad got uh, COVID, he ended up going into the hospital at Methodist. We absolutely did not trust Mercy. He went in and he had to watch my his dad pass away via video. And he's struggling to breathe at the same time. And it was just, Ugh. it was just 
I don't know. I can't even really describe it. So, so ultimately, it's your grandfather who passes away November 26th of 2021 from organ failure um, after being put on uh, the vent. Uh, he dies from COVID pneumonia, and that's just 12 days um, after he he's admitted um, in the end. So then your dad is is forced to, to watch this from his uh, hospital bed at Methodist, and you have to be obviously so concerned that this exact same thing is about to repeat itself. Yeah, it was happening real fast. So this is December 1st of uh, 2021 uh, that, that your dad ultimately is placed on a ventilator as well. They tell him that remdesivir is the only thing that he can have. My dad had known at that time that it was already an issue for kidneys with a lot of people, but he reluctantly agreed because at this point he can't breathe and there's nothing else you can do for us. And I think it was December 1st, he agreed to be ventilated. They did not have him sign a healthcare proxy or anything, which I found interesting, which will come into play (laughs) later. But, uh, That same day, we poured together money and paid a patient advocate to call the hospital with my stepmom, Angie, and um, ask for, but Budesin, I think, was one of the options, something that could go into a nebulizer, ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, zinc, vitamins, anything. Um, Just, you know, we just saw this happen with my grandpa. We need to try something different. And of course their answer was no, we can't do that. He's not going to make it, but we can't do that. Um, which doesn't even make sense in the same sentence, you know? Um, so we have the, we have the paperwork here, Shannon, and we just want to show, uh, the protocols for Methodist hospital, a health partners hospital, but it says right there that the treatments, the hospital will not use. It has the, the thumbs down there. Ivermectin is one of them, but you're paying out of your own pocket, not only for this advocate, but eventually, uh, you're hiring attorneys. And I know you even have a, a protest to save Dave, um, as you called it, outside the hospital that received uh, some media attention as well. Yeah, I mean, they wouldn't let us in. I think Angie, my stepmom, got to see him for the first time on December 6th, and we had the protest on December 4th. Around that time, we had so much support from friends, family, co-workers, churches. Uh, my friend April started a joint prayer session every day at 730, where we were all just praying together um, at the same time, concentrated focus. Um, it it just, it, it did so much to build our spirits and keep us going. And, and I do want to make sure that all of these people that helped all of us know how appreciative we are of that time. But yeah, we called everybody, attorneys, doctors, you know, we were calling Wisconsin to see if we could have them transferred. The answer was always no, they absolutely would not try anything. And we were having nurses during this time telling us that they get a lot of requests for like Ivermectin and things like that. And their hands are tied, but they knew people were getting it from over the counter in India. It was insane. The amount of hurdles we had to jump through before we took matters into our own hands. Your dad was also uh, not vaccinated. Did you see any difference in in his treatment uh, because of that? Absolutely. Um, So we had four family members that got COVID during that time. Um, My grandpa got it. My grandma got it. um, My dad got it and another family member. And we, one of them was vaccinated. Um, The one that was vaccinated got it last or sorry. Yeah. Got COVID last and was the first to get prescribed like a steroid or anything. So again, that's why we started taking notes and stuff. It was just things didn't seem right. Um, We did end up getting my grandma monoclonal antibodies. uh, And I do think that that saved her life. 
Uh, but my grandpa, by the time he got to the hospital, by the time my dad got in the hospital, now it's too late to give anything, you know, um, but you wouldn't prescribe him anything right away either. So this drags on, Shannon, not for not for days or weeks, but for months. Uh, we're, we're talking about here. Just just walk us through uh, what ultimately happens in, in the months that follow. Um, it really just sounds really, you know, like like hell for your family to go through. And then what what ultimately happens when you do start taking uh, matters in, into your own hands? Yeah, we did the protest. We paid a patient advocate. We tried getting an attorney three times. They had pressured um, Angie to unplug him. She was amazing. Uh, she, she was never giving up. And we talked every day through it from December to June, minus the times where they didn't allow visitors. Uh, my brother, Justin, my sister, Tanea, myself, and Angie were at the hospital every day. Um, at this point, we've lost all trust in the hospitals and their one-size-fits-all protocol. And so, um, you know, we had some other family members that came and visited them, too, and I'm very appreciative of that. But we made sure that we were there. And the third, we had meetings at the hospital. Um, Angie was there on, I want to say it was January 8th. And the doctor at Methodist comes into the room and closes the door. She's alone and is like, we need to unplug him. You need to unplug him. He's suffering. And, you know, she calls us. She's like, I need to talk with his kids. We need to have a meeting. Um, This is our like third meeting. And Angie's at the hospital with them and me and my brother and my sister were at my house in the basement on a uh, conference call and they, they're just shaming us. It's like you, he's never gonna, you know, he's never going to be without oxygen. He's never going to be without a trait. Cause I think he was on a trait at this point. Um, just you guys, you want him to suffer like this. And we were like, I don't care. I'm not giving up. I'm not giving up. We get off the phone and I'm like, you guys, I, uh, it's my day to go see him tomorrow. I want to try putting the ivermectin paste in his mouth. I have a neighbor, Doug, that had COVID at the same time. And he went and got the horse paste and was telling me about it. And he's like, you know, I couldn't breathe. I was getting ready to go to the hospital and I used some of this paste. And within like a day, he was starting to feel better. And I said, we have nothing to lose, you know, but I wanted permission from the family. Of course, we're all like, there's, there's nothing left for us to do. And so I went and got the ivermectin straight horse paste from Fleet Farm and got into the hospital and put it in his mouth. And that's what I did. And I was scared. I didn't know what was going to happen. But at this point, there's nothing that they're going to do. And uh, you're already telling me he's going to die. So, I mean, we might as well try it. Uh, The nurse came in shortly after I did that and started swabbing his mouth. He did have a camera on him. Um, They knew that our family was pushing for ivermectin. They knew about the protest. Um, I'm quite sure that Methodist knew what was going on. Um, And then through the next, I think, five days, each of us put ivermectin in his mouth. Um, It was based on weight. So we took like a small amount. And, you know, I know the media is going to put it down and call people crazy and this and that. And I, I don't really care because I believe he's here for that reason. Uh, they did reinstate a no visitor policy on the 18th, which I found that timing interesting. And my stepmom was freaking out. You know, how are you going to take us away from him? He had been responding somewhat like eyes moving during the sedation. Um, He knew we were there. He was still fighting and people need their family there. They need their family there. And, uh, but nonetheless, we, uh, we were kicked out of the hospital. Um, The day after we gave him Ivermectin, 
and she got a call and the doctor said she could not believe the progress that he was making. She, the very she next day. Within, yeah, the very next day. And within a week, he was able to be transferred to Regency Hospital. Um, they were trach specialists and shout out to Regency. They were amazing. As soon as he got there, uh, they they said he had been over medicated, over sedated. Um, it took him, I feel like, a month to get out of uh, or to wake up from the sedation, and it was just it was so scary. It was, and he woke up to dialysis. The first time he woke up, he's having dialysis. That's the other thing. He was given remdesivir for three days, November twenty second to November twenty fourth, and he had to have his first dialysis on December. 7th, I want to say it is, his kidneys were perfectly fine before, and now he's suffering from stage three permanent kidney failure. So after more than 200 days, 208, uh, as we said exactly, he, he can finally go home. And I was able to speak to him uh, a, a little bit, but he, how, how is he doing today? I mean, he has made uh, a lot of progress uh, in, in that year that he's been home. Considering where we were, he's amazing. And we have him here. He's here with me right now. However, he still is struggling to breathe at times. You know, he can only walk so long without getting winded. His lungs improved a little bit, but his kidneys, you know, uh, he's got stage three kidney failure and he can't work. We're happy. We're very, very happy he's here. But I, I strongly feel like this all could have been prevented. And we did reach out to Methodist Hospital. I wanted to say, uh, Shannon, for their response to the story, we're going to include their response in the article people will see online. You said you never told anyone at the hospital, but you do suspect that they knew what was going on and what your family was doing. We do. We were watched there. We gave pushback every day when we were there. You know, this one size fits all protocol isn't working, but you guys won't deviate from it. And every hospital was using the same same kind of thing. And and honestly, we were a little scared to, to say what we wanted or what we were doing because, I mean, they already reinstated the no visitor policy and, and we were scared we were going to get kicked out. But at the end of the day, it saved his life. So what do you think then hearing that these mandates uh, could be coming back again, mask mandates, uh, we hear, you know, another strain of COVID. What goes through your mind just just hearing all that all over again? COVID is a real thing, but there is a treatment out there that was cheap and effective, and they denied it. They denied it, and thousands of people died. There's thousands of people that have the same kind of story as us, and they they unplugged their loved one because they didn't have an option. And I'm just thankful for all the people that I talked to in my life and that, you know, our family members talked to that gate. I mean, I went to Fleet Farm several times to help other people. People were following our story to help other people get that paste. The shelves are always damn near empty. You know, excuse my language, but it's these people aren't showing up dead. Everyone I know that took it didn't end up in the hospital. And for the media to shame and for the government to withdraw and not allow us to have that, and then you're going to push a med or the safe and effective, or you're going to push a med like remdesivir that's going to end up it's just, it's evil. It's evil at the end of the day. And I'm sure it's going to come back around. And what has this done to your trust in the, the medical community, Shannon? We don't go to the hospital. <laughs> we don't go to the doctor very often. I I ended up pulling my kid during the mask mandate because I didn't want my healthy child um, being masked. And now I homeschool. It can be a choice. People can wear the mask. Uh, you know, people can get the vaccine. But when you're censoring the information and people questioning the vaccine or the mass mandates or anything that we question and it's being censored and 
um, then the mandates come around. That's a big red flag. That's a big red flag to me. You know, uh, there was no money in saving people. We know that the hospitals were getting money for each hospitalization, for each person they put on the vent, uh, each person that died every time they um, prescribed remdesivir. It was just, the, it's just evil. What is your advice then for families who may have gone through something uh, similar? Maybe they don't know they're, you know, still piecing some of this information uh, together. But many of you I know have, have found each other in a way and, and yeah. you're still trying to help. I wouldn't trust the media, you know, the mainstream media. I, I wouldn't trust anything that they say at this point. You know, like I said, they were shaming the horse paste and every person that I talked to that had used it. Um you know, it, it sounds like they're kind of coming around to the ivermectin piece. These are meds that have been around forever. What I would tell people is I would get a hold of some ivermectin. You know, that COVID, it's it's messed up my dad's lungs. It, you know, it, it definitely did some damage, but we could have avoided all of that. And reach out to people. You know, we were talking to doctors around the country. We, uh, we were part of Facebook groups and... I also would hope that a bunch of us would keep speaking out and getting together. I mean, we try, we're, we're still trying to get uh, legal action. What they did, in my opinion, should be illegal. And yeah, I, I would just say reach out to people and, and there is hope. And um, unfortunately, the hospitals have become a money making. Uh, you know, it, it's not patients over profits. Well, Shannon Fletcher, thank you so much for, for continuing to fight for your dad. Please, please give him our best as well. Yeah, thank you so much, Liz. Thank you, Shannon. And that will do it for this episode of Liz Collin Reports. We'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.